Welcome to the Standard of Truth podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont and Professor Richard LaDuke explore the early history of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the life and teachings of Prophet Joseph Smith. They examine the original historical sources and provide context for events of the past. They approach the history of the Church with faith, expertise, and humor. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Standard of Truth podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont, and I'm joined again by my friend, Professor, nearly doctor. He's coming in the home stretch. People are people are seeing they're cheering him down the lane. It's 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 like you know the 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 scene in any good horse race film where he's he's breaking to the inside. He's 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 gonna get the rail. He's ready to go. Richard Leduc. Oh my gosh, that was the most incredible um, intro ever. Thank you, Garrett. Uh, hello, Garrett. Um, <laughs> I, I believe I've mentioned this before. One of my favorite uh, stories of all time, as it relates to uh, horse racing, is a is a Pete Rose bet that he bet on a horse. The horse was winning, and down the stretch, a deer comes bounds over the the hedges onto the track and hits the deer or hits the horse that Pete Rose. I know it's tough to believe that Pete Rose was gambling that yeah. Pete Rose had bet you on. Lost me, you lost me at Pete Rose gamble. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's one of my favorite uh, horse racing stories ever. It's very funny. Um, yes, Garrett. So last week we talked about um, after we talked about all dogs going to heaven for Jennifer, we talked about uh, hero yeah, worship. We, we started a discussion on this uh, uh, on the 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 aspect of 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 people placing a person ahead of uh ahead of their of their church uh membership i still think we probably you know what before we get back into it let's let's go back to the phoebe draper mailbag yep we're hitting the the phoebe draper mailbag we're this one will be relatively uh short allow us to get right in um this this email comes to us from cody uh, and he says, last week, a friend of my, a friend uh, sent me episode one of your podcast and asked me, what do you think? Eight days later, I am finishing up episode 35. In particular, Whoa. Wow. I, Whoa. I know. In particular, I really liked uh, the material in episodes 27 through 30. That's back when the podcast was better, uh, by the way. He didn't say that. That's me speaking. Uh, well, so he'll he'll send us another. I mean, at his current at his current burn rate, he, he'll have sent us another email by the time this drops, saying, "You know what? I changed my mind." So that's that's Joseph Smith's run for uh, president. Uh, every time a, a bell rings, an angel doesn't get their wings. Um, and a little bit on the Council of Fifty uh, minutes, kind of getting into that. So. Thank you so much, Cody, for such a kind thing. I, that reminds me of the first time I ever watched the show 24. Uh, I, I started after it was been out a couple of seasons. We went to Blockbuster Video and we rented. Wow. Someone's dating themselves. <laughs> yes, we went to, uh, we, we rented the entire thing and we almost watched that entire uh, 
season in about two days uh, because we got so enthralled. That's the type of addiction that this podcast creates for people is yeah. quitting their jobs and only listening to our podcast. And that's that's what we're hoping it engenders. Yeah, we're we're hoping we're hoping that people become so enamored with whatever we've had <laughs> to say that they're like, you know what? I you know what I, I was supposed to I was supposed to to go to work today, but you know what? I'm sick. I need to I need to find out what happens with the hero worship episode, and the next thing you know, here you are. I got to imagine though, for Cody, it's one of those things where I find, uh, you know, I travel a decent amount for work, and where I find a, a series or a, a TV show that I hadn't seen before, and it's got like nine seasons and twenty episodes per season, and now I can binge this thing, and eventually, eventually though, I do get caught up, and now I'm waiting like uh like a sucker for the episode to come out every week and that is that is frustrating but um so Cody you'll get there you'll get frustrated before that as i said uh, we take a precipitous drop off in quality we're waiting to 2025 when we get back into Garrett's wheelhouse and come follow oh, me oh boy yeah boy that, you know covenants. we we get to that doctrine and covenants year and you know we will again resemble a a poor man's come follow me <laughs> The a poorest, very poor man, the poorest of men. Um, but uh, so, Garrett, as as we read this email of praise, what better transition than into hero worship? I feel like I feel like Richard's trying to send a very subtle message uh, that oh, you don't say you want to do hero worship. Well, maybe you shouldn't keep having me go get you a pumpkin spice latte before this begins. <laughs> you don't know him the way I know him. He's a monster. Uh, yeah, so we, we can get back into this discussion. Now, I've talked about this before, but let me reiterate. In a, in a, in a meeting I was in once, um, don't worry. It was not a, an intimate meeting. It wasn't like I've ever had any meeting with anyone that matters ever. <laughs> I am not important. No one knows who I am. There's not one person who he, who can even spell my name, let alone has any idea who I am. Okay. <laughs> so I don't want anyone to think I'm trying to like, yeah, well, let me tell you about these special things I've done. I haven't done anything special. I am probably one of the most meaningless people in the entire church. In fact, you know what? I am. Actually, we, 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 we actually had it. We put it to a poll and you came back uh, second. Oh, man. Who was I, first? I was, I was more meaningless. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. yeah I, I find that hard to believe. And I, I voted for you. Um, <laughs> well, but the, 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 I, I was in a meeting with, um, uh, you know, uh, President Worthen when he was the president of BYU. And, and he was talking about how, you know, there's, there's these things that people are really, really passionate about. And because they're passionate about them, they mistake passion for expertise. They think they're the same thing. And the areas are sports, which I can only imagine as a president of BYU, the most unsolicited advice that you re receive every single day is on sports. And, you know, <laughs> from some guy who hasn't even coached a flag football team for his six-year-old, but knows exactly what, what Kalani should have done in the third quarter, right? I mean, and why does he feel like he knows? Well, he feels like he knows because he cares so much about sports 
that he's he's confused his passion with the same thing as being a coach. That doesn't mean coaches don't make mistakes. But the point is, this person really has come to feel like they're better than the coach. I would be better if I was the one coaching, right? In fact, you know, I think I've said words like that before myself, but um, this is just sounding more like an indictment of myself. Um, the other is politics. I mean, think about the number of people that we know in our lives who are just certain. They literally know every single thing there is to know about, about politics, about whatever political issue there is. And most of them have never held any public office at all. Most of them aren't political science majors. Most of them haven't in any way engaged in the actual way that government runs, but they're passionate about it. And that passion causes them to feel like they're experts. Well, in the subject of, of hero worship, that kind of passion sometimes gets transferred, right? Why do I love so-and-so as an athlete? Because I loved the way he played. I loved who he was. And then when he comes out and says, well, the church is wrong about this policy. Well, whoa, what do I do? Because this guy's my, my favorite athlete of all time. And if he's saying that, that, Anyone who believes this is wrong, that means he would think I'm wrong. I don't want to think about that, right? Or uh, on a much more uh, common occurrence, people will people will say, "Well, this political position, it, the church is just wrong about it," and. Uh, you know, this person that I've come to adore, they're right on it. We don't have to go too far out of current headlines to find examples of the church taking positions that are opposed to what would be otherwise popular political figures. And the sad part of it is watching these people who really believe that they're devoted to the gospel come out swinging against the very church that they thought they were devoted to. And, and, and if anyone listening is like, oh, he's just trying to indict, you know, whichever political party you are, I'm not. Uh, the, the reality is I see examples all the time from both sides of the political divide from people on the left and from people on the right who, you know, think the church is just wrong about its policies or its positions or its doctrine. And they, the reason why is because of their political beliefs. And, and that's where things become pretty dicey. Um, in, I, I think I want to spend a little bit of time you know, with someone who's uh, a, a better speaker and educator than myself on this topic. Obviously, Bishop Waddell also better, right? So we're going to start with better and we're going to end with better. Um, that uh, uh, the, this, this is someone who's well-known to most readers. In fact, as I read it, Almost everyone's going to already know what it is I'm reading. Um, and this is from 
the screw tape letters from C.S. Lewis. If you don't know the screw tape letters, if you haven't read them, you know, you've heard them quoted in conference or something like that. The entire premise of them is that it's letters being written from uh, by a junior devil to a senior devil, right? About how to properly, well, tempt someone into sin or away from Christianity. And one of the questions becomes from this junior devil to the senior devil. So it's the senior devil always writing the response to the question that's asked by the, by the junior devil. And he's called screw tape. That's why they're called the screw tape letters. Screw tape is the, is the, the name of the evil devil. And the issue comes up about, you know, what's a way that I can pull this, this guy, this guy became a Christian and he became a pretty fervent Christian. How in the world am I going to pull this guy down to hell if, if, he's so, if he's so devoted to Christianity? And Screwtape provides him this, this teaching. Okay, so you've, you, you've, got, you've got where he's, he, he's very Christian, but here's the thing. There's a way to pull him away from his Christianity. I had not forgotten my promise to consider whether we should make the patient, meaning the person they're trying to tempt, an extreme patriot or an extreme pacifist. You know, he, he's writing this during World War II, right? And so you, you probably can't find a bigger political divide than someone who is absolutely a patriot arguing that, you know, everyone needs to support the, the, the British war effort and someone who is a, uh, you know, someone who's a pacifist arguing that war is wrong for any reason and that we shouldn't do anything to support it. Right. So, I mean, um, uh, the, the, the divide is pretty clear. All extremes. This is what screw tape tells them. All extremes. Except devotion to the enemy. Now, when they say enemy, what they mean is God, right? All extremes, except devotion to God, are to be encouraged. Not always, of course, but during this period. Some ages are lukewarm and complacent, and then it's our business to soothe them yet to faster asleep. But he goes on to say, if your patient can be induced to become a conscientious objector, he will automatically find himself one of a small, vocal, organized, and unpopular society. And the effects of this are one so, on one so new to Christianity will almost certainly be good. He goes on to say that you can either push him to becoming an extreme pacifist or an extreme patriot, and it actually doesn't matter which one. Whatever he adopts, your main task will be the same. Let him begin by treating the patriotism or the pacifism as part of his religion. Then let him, under the influence of partisan spirit, come to regard it as the most important part of his religion. Then quietly and gradually nurse him on to the stage at which the religion becomes merely part of the cause, in which Christianity is valued chiefly because of the excellent arguments it can produce in favor of the British war effort or in favor of pacifism. 
once you have made the world an end and faith your means, you've almost won your man. And it makes very little difference what kind of worldly end he's pursuing. The, um, the idea is to get someone to, to value whatever it is that isn't the kingdom of God more, more than the kingdom of God. And, and you can see how people do this. I, I hear these arguments all the time. I, I, if I had a nickel for the number of times I've heard people quote scriptures to undermine what prophets have said, to say, well, uh, I don't think they're right about that because, you know, Isaiah, you know, 16 says, what are they doing? They're, they're, trying to, they're trying to destroy prophetic utterance, claiming that they have a backing of Scripture, but the real point is they want to be right. They want to believe what it is that they believe politically, regardless of how it affects the church regardless of what the end game, the end result of that actually is. Um, and I love that. You know, once you've made, uh, you know, uh, re- religions a mean, I mean, I, I, that, that that is all you really need to do. And frankly, um, for people listening, I mean, if you're still listening, Please be very, very, very careful of it. Whatever your political or social movement or group that you most identify with, if it comes to dominate you to the point where if the prophet came out and said you need to believe the opposite, you would doubt the prophet, then whatever your cause is, is no longer, you know, the most important part of your religion. Now the cause is more important than your religion. And I'm sure there's a ton of people listening to me thinking, well, yeah, but it's different with what I believe because of X. And that's how we always want to believe. The true test of discipleship is Will I sacrifice what I want to believe for what prophetic utterance says? Because what I want to believe, obviously, it's what I want to believe. That's why I want to believe it. But I've watched people leave the church over the past several years on both sides of political divides because the church is just wrong about X policy. The church, the prophet is just wrong about having said this. The church is just wrong about this. And what are they measuring it against? They're measuring against that cause, whatever it is, that they find to be more important. If you find yourself criticizing the church because the church took a position on on an issue that isn't your position, then, you know, like screw tape, you are allowing yourself to be deceived away from the truth. Now, look, I'm not saying I'm immune to this. I am as sinful as the next person, and I'm certainly more gullible than the next person, right? I can easily be influenced and led away, as, as many early saints were. 
Sometimes it's because someone has a charismatic personality. You know, the, the, the James Strangs of the world who pop onto the scene and say, I've had visions. You've got to come to me. Look at me. I'm translating new scripture. Sometimes it's because the person is, is seen as a darling of our, of our political movement. And we look at them and we say, oh, yeah, that person is so amazing. And when the church says something that contradicts that about what they believe or what they do, instead of changing our opinions, we begin to criticize the church. Um, in Iowa, in uh, uh, 1848, there was a real, real to-do that took place. Um, this is because most Latter-day Saints had been Democrats. We've talked about this before. Almost all Latter-day Saints were Democrats all throughout Joseph Smith's life. There were all kinds of reasons for that. The Democratic Party was the party of the of the Western farmer. That's what most of them were. The Democratic Party was far more conciliatory to other religious groups. Now, look, neither party in American politics in the 1830s and 40s was what you would call, you know, uh, kind to divergent religious groups. But the Whig Party had members of it. That, you know, the Whig Party was made up of evangelical Christians and they were much more intolerant of Catholics, Jews, other, other religious groups. Um, and, and so it's not a surprise that the Latter-day Saints, they, they kind of gravitated towards, um, uh, towards the Democratic Party. And, and it affected them where they moved because everyone knew moving there that they were going to be voting in blocks for the Democratic Party to the point where it's actually what sparks the violence in Missouri because a Whig candidate knew he was going to lose if the if if he let them Mormons vote, and so he incites a riot, which leads to the Mormon War in Missouri. Well, when they move to Iowa, there is you know Brigham Young receives inspiration that they're going to make a break from the Democratic Party, and and in this election they're going to vote for the Whigs, even though most people hate the Whigs. The Whigs, my goodness, they're the people who've been treating us like garbage. The the leading anti-Mormon newspapers in Illinois, the ones who are calling for the extermination of Mormons, were Whig newspapers. But uh, Brigham Young was seeing that, you know, the Whigs were likely going to win the presidency, and the presidency was going to decide what happens to the territory, and here we are moving into you know, this unorganized territory that's just been claimed from Mexico by, by the way, the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. Um, and what happens is that as he's now in Salt Lake and there are church leaders left in Iowa as more and more members come, you know, Orson Hyde, he really takes this to heart and he actually starts a newspaper that becomes a Whig newspaper, you know, pro-Whig everything. Well, Alman Babbitt, who is a lifelong Democrat, someone who had actually served in the Illinois State House as a Democratic legislature. Okay, I mean, this, this guy is this guy is as, as partisan as anyone's ever been. In fact, in Utah, he will become a delegate of the territory of Utah to Congress, and fellow Democrats will write back to Brigham Young saying, uh, "You got to replace this guy. He is so partisan. He is hurting your cause." Like, because you know he's. So again, I know that no one listening to this podcast knows anybody who feels so strongly about politics that they would be that partisan. But but imagine a world where someone does feel that partisan, 
where politics is the deciding factor on everything. Is that thing that just happened immoral? I don't know. Did a Democrat or a Republican do it? Is, is, that, is that thing right? Did a Democrat say it or did a Republican say it? Oh, as soon as you tell me, then I know. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, it was right because, because that person said it, right? Well, so Alman Babbitt, very angry that Orson Hyde has set up this, uh, this uh, Whig paper, starts his own newspaper. And it's a Democratic paper, and it attacks not only Orson Hyde's paper, but also Orson Hyde. Well, this goes on for a little while until Orson Hyde pulls rank and, uh, and disfellowships Alman Babbitt. Right, because when you're an apostle, you know, what are you going to do? You've got, you know, you, you've got it. Well, Orson Hyde tells uh, Brigham Young of all the things going on. And I think he thinks that when Brigham Young hears about it, his response is going to be, well, that's about right. First of all, everyone knows Alvin Babbitt's a problem. And the guy's been like excommunicated and disfellowship like 10 times, but he always keeps getting brought back because he's so good an administrator. Um, so I think Orson Hyde thinks when he tells Brigham what's happened, that Brigham's going to, you know, pat him on the head and say, you know what? Great job. Instead, what he gets is a letter back that all of us would do well to, 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 to think about. He says, now we do not care a groat. Now a groat was a worthless English penny, like the, the smallest denomination you could get. We don't care a groat about your political differences. But we wish to say to you to not allow trivial matters to influence you in the least and never, no, never, no, never drag priesthood into political Gentile warfare. Let no religious test be required or the holy influence and power of the priesthood be brought to bear in any political question. If the intrinsic merits of all such matters will not furnish arguments sufficient for all necessary purposes, then let them go. For it is better for the whole political fabric, corrupt as we know it to be, should tatter and go to destruction than for one saint to be offended. The, the, the point is, for Brigham Young, yes, people engage in politics. Certainly Brigham Young engaged in politics. But the point of the politics was to find a way to further the kingdom of God on earth. The point of the politics isn't just to win at politics. And, and I think as we, you know, look, we're headed into political season, right? You know, I mean, over the next year, we'll be hearing more about politics than we ever want to hear. There's always that temptation to allow our political beliefs to become our God. To, to say, well, this is so true that if the prophet were to speak out against it, then the prophet's wrong. And, and the reality is part of becoming a, a member of the kingdom of God on earth is coming to that realization that I put everything on the altar. And even if that happens to be some beloved personality, some some person who I, I I revered, some person who I feel like helped make me a better person. When when it comes to the point where they are speaking out against the church, or saying the church is wrong for something that they've done or said, then the whole reason why you liked that person should hopefully shrivel and go the other direction. The kingdom of God or nothing. 
what shall it profit of a man if he shall gain the whole world but lose his own soul? What good is it if we get all of the greatest arguments there are about our particular political beliefs and we lose the testimony of the church, which we originally thought was buttressing our beliefs in the first place? I know it's a really difficult thing to do because we care a lot about those things. But we always have to remember that anything you're passionate about that isn't the Lord Jesus Christ directly can and has been time and time and time again in the history of the church, can, has been, and will be used by the adversary to try to get us to turn against the kingdom of God. It's, it's, it's his method. So I hope everybody listening re-listens to that conference talk, which was presented much better than what I did here, and just take a pause that when you find yourself looking to criticize the kingdom of God on earth because of what someone some other blogger, some other, you know, group, you know, leader, some other politician says that you stop and ask yourself, what am I first? If I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints first, then I might not understand why the church has the position they have. I might not understand why the church does what they do. But that's not the same thing as criticizing the church publicly and openly because they just aren't saying what I want them to say. As I have said many, 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 many times, and I'll keep saying it until no one's listening at all anymore, whether we get them in Quebec or in Arkansas, no one will listen, but I will keep saying it. The entire point of having a prophet, the point of having one, I, the Lord, knowing the calamities, right? The entire point is to teach you things that you would not believe otherwise. That's why God calls prophets. He calls them so that when the prophet teaches something that you don't want to believe, that you wouldn't believe otherwise, that you believe it because it's coming from a prophet. That's why he's giving them that authority. You don't need a prophet to tell you to stay in Jerusalem. You are always going to stay in Jerusalem where your house is, where your wealth is, where your friends are, where you are held in esteem in society. A prophet tells you to do something that's the exact opposite of what you want to do or what you want to believe. And the reason why you believe is because it's a prophet. So please don't allow in this next year that comes forward, as more and more people apostatize, as more and more people claim that they have some kind of political insight that, you know, there's no way 99-year-old President Nelson could understand. Don't allow someone to drive a wedge in between your testimony of the church and the kingdom of God on earth over politics or social things, over policies or doctrines that are less favorable in the world, but find a way to commit yourself to, to accepting whatever it is 
that God, through his prophets, are willing to teach us. And when we don't understand, we believe. And when we do understand, we believe. And if it's exactly what I already think politically, then we believe. And when it's the exact opposite of what I already think politically, then I still believe. And I think that's how we know whether or not we have actually put our life on the altar for the kingdom of God. You know, Joseph Smith, um, he, he, of course, near the end of his life is going to engage in politics. Um, eventually, he's going to, as, as, as Cody just uh, <laughs> listened, uh, probably on seven times speed, um, uh, Joseph Smith's going to run for president specifically because he felt like neither political party was going to do any justice to the Latter-day Saints. And he wanted to bring, he wanted to bring attention to the plight of, uh, to the plight of, of these persecuted religious minorities, not just his own. And in a letter he writes, uh, to, uh, a follower, uh, James Arlington, uh, Bennett is, uh, uh, someone who will be baptized a member of the church, but never really come to Nauvoo. He's more of a political person. He's a former general in the war of 1812. So he's, he's a, he's a big guy. He's a big dude. Um, and he writes several letters to Joseph and in one, he's kind of talking to Joseph about politics and Joseph, uh, says a lot of things in this letter. I'm not going to read all of it, but, um, this is a letter he's writing in 1843, November of 1843, so right as they're having all these discussions about, about politics. He says, Sir, when I leave the dignity and honor I receive from heaven to boost a man into power through the aid of my friends, where the evil and designing after the object has been accomplished can back up the clemency intended as a reciprocation for such favors, and where the wicked and principled as a matter of course, would seize the opportunity to flintify the heart of the nation against me for dabbling at the sly game of politics, verily I say, when I leave the dignity and honor of heaven to gratify the ambition and vanity of man or men, may my power cease, like the strength of Samson when he was shorn of his locks while asleep in the lap of Delilah. Truly, said the Savior, Cast not your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. you know, Joseph's responding to essentially this kind of in, in, inquiry from this. This guy's in D.C. This he, he lives in D.C. He's part of all of this, uh, you know, the, the politics that are going on. You know, when when the suggestion is, well, you know, couldn't you, you know, throw your hat behind, you know, some of these politicians and and you could be a kingmaker, and Joseph. It essentially tries to remind him the same thing that 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 Brigham uh, tries to remind Orson Hyde, and that is the the reason why Joseph has influence is because he's a prophet of God who saw God and saw Jesus. If he uses that influence to try to score cheap political points then he's casting his pearls before swine. Why? Well, because the political world is this Gentile political creation. And 
if I allow the arguments over politics in the Gentile world to affect my religion, well then, the Gentile political world has overcome the entire reason why I had influence in the first place. Um, Joseph makes it pretty clear. Shall I, who've witnessed the visions of eternity, beheld the glories of the mansions of bliss, the regions and misery of the damned, shall I turn to be a Judas? Shall I, who have heard the voice of God and communed with angels and spake as moved by the Holy Ghost for the renewal of the everlasting covenant and for the gathering of Israel in the last days, shall I warm myself into a political hypocrite, sorry, worm myself into a political hypocrite? Shall I, who holds the keys of the last kingdom, in which is the dispensation of the fullness of all things spoken by the mouths of all the holy prophets since the world began under the sealing power of the Melchizedek priesthood, shall I stoop from the sublime authority of the Almighty God to be handled as a monkey's cat's paw and pedify myself into a clown to act the farce of political demagoguery? No. Verily, no. The whole earth shall bear me witness that I, like the towering rock in the midst of the ocean, which has withstood the mighty surges of the warring waves for centuries, am impregnable, and am a faithful friend to virtue and a fearless vote to vice. No odds whether the former was sold as a pearl in Asia or hid as a gem in America and the latter dazzles in palaces or glimmers among the tombs. I combat the errors of ages. I meet the violence of mobs. I cope with illegal proceedings from executive authority. I cut the Gordian knot of powers, and I solve the mathematical, pro mathematical problems of universities with truth, diamond truth, and God is my right-hand man. And to close, let me say in the name of Jesus Christ to you, and to presidents, emperors, kings, queens, governors, rulers, nobles, and men in authority everywhere, do the works of righteousness, execute judgment, execute justice and judgment in the earth that God may bless you and her inhabitants. Um, where Joseph here is, is trying to say, look, that the authority that comes from being a member of the kingdom of God should trump political infighting. And, and I know when we feel really strongly about politics, we we come to to see like like screw tapes victim, right? Like Wormwood's victim, that sometimes we even get to the point where we're using the church to make our political arguments instead of following the church to make our political arguments. I, I've always said, you know, there are, it's a funny thing. We just had general conference. It's a funny thing because when you, when you listen to general conference, there's always talks that end up on different sides of what you might call political or social issues. Right. And sure enough, without fail, you can get on your feed and what talks are people reposting? Always the talk 
that just so happens to follow what they personally already believe. You can guarantee that if you have a friend who really feels strongly about, you know, working out and being physically fit and someone gives a talk about how we have to keep the body healthy, guess what that person is posting to their feet? Because that validates who they are. And sure, they really believe that, but the reason why they're posting it isn't because they need to learn about it. It's because they think everyone else needs to learn about it. The real test of discipleship is, do you post the one that's opposed to what you already thought, that goes against what your political beliefs are? Do you, do you place your personal beliefs underneath that of what the prophets and apostles have to say? And really, this is something that Joseph struggles with his, his whole life. You know, uh, in, in another discourse he gives again right before he dies. This is January of 1844. He says, The question is frequently asked, can we not be saved without going through all the ordinances? Right? Now, remember, it's already a big deal in a Protestant world that, that Joseph is saying that you have to get baptized at all to be saved. I mean, heavens, Oliver Cowdery, his initial conflict with Joseph is over the necessity of works surrounding baptism. The entire Protestant world does not believe baptism is essential, and Joseph Smith said it is. So that's already a pretty big deal. Now you add to that temple ordinances. Now Joseph isn't just saying that you have to be baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now there's further covenants that you have to make, further uh, commitments that you have to make, temple covenants in order for exaltation. And so the response from people is, look, I grew up believing that you didn't have to do anything to be saved. It was the hardest thing in the world for me to come to terms with the fact that you even had to have baptism to be saved. Now you're saying there's even more things you have to do to be saved? Can we not be saved without going through all the ordinances, with all, all these ordinances? And I would answer no, not the fullness of salvation. Jesus said there were many mansions in his father's house, and he would go and prepare a place for them. House here should have been translated kingdom, Joseph says. Any person who is exalted to the highest mansion has to abide a celestial law and the whole law too. I mean, uh, for those of you who can reflect on past conference, this is essentially what President Oaks' talk was, that there are many different mansions in heaven um, and it, God has prepared a merciful way to where basically everyone, with exceptions too few to mention, are going to heaven. Um, but if you want the highest exaltation, you have to abide the whole law. And then after explaining this, because obviously this is a really difficult thing for people to accept, Joseph says, there has been a great difficulty in getting anything into the heads of this generation. It has been like splitting hemlock knots with a corn dodger for a wedge and a pumpkin for a beetle. Now, 
if that's not some good imagery, what, I mean, frankly, it's not actually ends up not being that good of imagery because very few of us have any interaction with hemlock knots or with corn dodgers. Um, a corn dodger is, uh, well, I mean, I think probably the greatest equivalent to us that people would recognize is, is like hush puppies. It's like a, it's like a cornmeal, you know, fried food and they're usually small and, and round. So trying to split a hemlock knot, which is very, very, very tough with a smushable <laughs> hush puppy, um, as your wedge to do it. And a beetle, what's a beetle? A beetle is a, is a large wooden mallet in the 19th century. So you're using a fried cornmeal hush puppies as your, as your tool to split it. And you're smashing a pumpkin on the hush puppies in order to split the hemlock knot. I, I think we can all, I mean, you know what? The podcast should really recreate this. We should do a, an online video where we attempt to see how well it works. We've got a lot of pumpkins around right now, huh? Yeah. Yeah. We'll go to R&R Barbecue and just keep buying more and more of those uh, hush puppies and trying to hammer in or break we'll up. Some, uh, we'll get some hemlock knots and we'll see if we can get that pumpkin to break it. You know what? I like this. This is a great idea. This is This is one of our better ideas. You know, we should actually... Make it like a fan uh, event where we, you know what, come to the hemlock splitting. That's good. We make sure we want to get splitting in there. Otherwise, there might be, think it's like a. Like a Socrates uh, killing himself type that's of thing? That's 100%. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Hemlock splitting. Hemlock splitting. Not hemlock taking. Yeah. That, that, that is a very, uh, a very key difference. So Joseph is totally frustrated. Why? Because people are not willing to give up what they always have believed for what he's trying to teach them. As he goes on, even the saints are slow to understand. I have tried for a number of years to get the minds of the saints prepared to receive the things of God. But we frequently see some of them suffering. All they have for the work of God. And they will fly to pieces like glass as soon as anything comes that's contrary to their traditions. They cannot stand the fire at all. How many will be able to abide a celestial and go through and receive their exaltation? I'm unable to, to say, but many are called and few are chosen. Think about Joseph in this experience, right? Some of these people that are apostatizing because Joseph is teaching doctrines like God was once a man that mankind can become like God, that there's further ordinances that need to be performed for exaltation, that exaltation, you know, causes people to become like God, that marriage can be for eternity, and that it's actually a requirement for exaltation. These are all things that are Joseph is teaching that fly in the face of 1,800 years of Christian teaching and tradition. And, and you, you see how Joseph marvels at it. Some of these people that are apostatizing over me teaching the true nature of God are, are people who had their house burned out in Missouri. These are people who, for the sake of the gospel, 
have suffered so much. And then I teach something that isn't what they already believe or that isn't what they want to believe. And that same person who was an anvil when Missourians were burning and looting and assaulting leaves the church over me revealing something more about the nature of God. I, I have to say that I, I, much more so than I thought as we're talking about this, I, I feel myself very personally affected by this because I know people personally who this fits very, very, very well. I know people who have spent their entire lives defending the church and the kingdom of God on earth right up until one of these heroes that they worship ended up on the other side of of doing what was right, ended up being criticized by the church, or ended up taking a position that was entirely the opposite of the church. And I know these people. I know them and all that they've sacrificed for the kingdom of God. To watch their testimony slip away, like into a, a quicksand quagmire being pulled down because they can't reconcile how it is that this person that they've loved could not be exactly on the same page as the church because for so long they've claimed that they were the same thing. And that particular political belief, they've decided, was the most important political belief. And, and, it, and it, it places them in odds against the church. I, frankly, this is a difficult thing to talk about. I've watched this happen now with literally dozens of people that I know who five years ago, if you asked me, would so-and-so ever criticize the prophet or leave the church? I would have laughed at you and said, uh, him? No, no, that he's more likely to punch you in the face for saying something about the prophet than he is to leave the church over something like that. Her? No, no, she, she is the first person to let you know what the standards of the church are because she believes so much. There is no way she would ever question or criticize the prophet. And in those cases, very, very, very sadly, the prophet teaches something that isn't what they want to believe, and they fly apart like glass. Um, so how can we not be that glass? And, and I think the only way to do it is to completely surrender your will to God's. That does not mean that you will understand every single thing the church teaches. You won't. You won't. You can't. Brigham Young didn't understand every single thing that Joseph taught. Joseph didn't understand every single thing the Lord revealed to him. Not at first. But instead of looking to find ways that the church is wrong, 
because they disagree with our self-made idols that come in the, the form of, of men and women um, that, that really seem really smart, who really speak to us in many other ways. Never allowing their opinion or their actions to come in conflict with the church. Uh, I, 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 maybe I'll leave off retelling a story I've already told because that's, that's probably par for the course for what we do. Yeah, around it's on brand for the, yeah, 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 we, 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 we talk too much about it. We reiterate what we've already said. We drive hundreds, if not thousands of people into early bedtimes as they're listening, you know, oh, I'm going to buy that sleep app from, uh, from, uh, uh, you know, Apple so that I can go to sleep. You know what? I don't need that. I've got the standard of true podcast. I mean, look, some of our reviews from our last tour were the best week's sleep I've ever had. I mean, just, <laughs> you know, I, I've, I've had insomnia. I don't have it anymore. But I, I share this story because it was, it's so, it was so powerful to me. And as a religion professor, look, I, I, I have had many experiences where you can really feel the Holy Spirit in a classroom. The testimony of a student as she bears her testimony, the testimony of, uh, 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 of, of prophets as we listen to it. And then, you know, the class collectively can feel the Holy Spirit. Um, but I, I've said before, you know, one of my most powerful spiritual experiences was uh, teaching a history class. And it was a Utah history class. And it was a class where there were uh, there were two very vocal students who could not be further apart on the political spectrum. And they tried to turn every single discussion in the class into an argument about current political policy. And the battle was ably joined. Uh, I mean, uh, I mean, you'd be like, well, uh, so this is how, you know, the Latter-day Saints in Utah first began to divert canals in order to water their crops within seconds it was a an argument about global warming and uh and how you know enough or too much is being done surrounding it i mean uh there was a girl in the class she was as 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 liberal as i mean there you know it, it was before the time of 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 aoc but were there an aoc she would say that aoc is a sellout and nowhere near as liberal as as she needs to be and on the other end of the spectrum, there was a guy who was just so conservative that, I mean, he would have pretty harsh words for, you know, Ben Shapiro for just being, you know, basically a communist, you know, with, with not being as far right as he did. They were, yeah, he's a, he's a neocon rhino. Yeah, yeah right. exactly. Yeah. Oh, there he goes again with all of his, you know, might as well, might as well be a Democrat for all the things he says, you know, that kind of stuff. Anyway, they were both very vocal. And, you know, as an instructor, it, it meant we had lots of discussions in all of our class. And, and near the end of the class, uh, this girl got married, uh, I think, and moved. Uh, I'm not sure why. I, th I think in my mind, as I'm recollecting, she, you know, her husband got a job that was somewhere else. And, and, and so it was pretty sudden and they moved and she had to kind of drop out of the class. Um, and, uh, and so it left just our, our, our uber conservative guy in the class. And, you know, as an instructor, you see things that other people can't see, right? So you see when someone raises their hand, you actually see people, the stu other students 
like sigh, settle into their desks and roll their eyes when, when that person raises their hand, you know, uh, you know, the person raising their hand can't see it. If you're thinking, well, no one's ever done that with me. Well, let's get some video of what happens every time you raise your hand in gospel doctrine class. Well, the, the reason why I bring it up, I know that's kind of a long intro, but I kind of have to give you this intro to understand that by the time we got to the end of the class, what this student's political philosophy was, was well known to literally everyone. Uh, as he had attempted to take every single discussion and try to turn it into a current political talking point with a conservative bent. And, and at times it was just, it was crazy. I mean, and, and I think that's why it was sometimes frustrating to the other students. And I knew because we were talking about immigration, because we were talking about modern Utah history. And what had just happened was Utah was about to pass a, a very, very, very strict immigration law. And, um, you know, the governor had already said he was going to sign it. It was speeding its way through the legislature. And so we were, we're talking about that portion. It's the most modern portion of history at the time. This was obviously more than a decade ago. and. Uh, Inside, I am cringing. I know that when we open up to discussion after the lecture, that this kid's going to comment. And I already know what he thinks about illegal immigration because he's let us know when it literally had nothing to do with immigration. He, he was more than willing to share with us his views. Um, and so as I explain that, you know, the church came out with a statement and I, we read the church's statement that that talked about how the church did not support deporting families and breaking them up that families were it was essential to keep families together and arguing that they should work towards a, a compromise well in point of fact what happened is that um you know the the bill that was sailing its way through the Utah legislature stopped sailing. And in fact, the governor who had previously expressed support for it, then expressed his not support for it, which of course led to many non-Latter-day Saints in Utah being very angry. You know, how dare the, you know, the church get involved in this topic. And, you know, we were going to get this bill passed and now we're not because the church weighed in on it. And so I expected that I was about to hear an angry tirade and it was going to be different than the other tirades because this time it would be him responding to what the current prophet of the church had said. And instead of trying to make it about modern politics, it was modern politics. And this kid, nothing in his life mattered to him more than politics. He was, by the way, a political science major, so not terribly surprising. Uh, and he wanted to be a politician. That's what he wanted to be. And so he started his, you know, he, he, I, I said, well, does anyone, you know, we're at our discussion phase. Who wants to start our discussion? And lo and behold, his hand goes up, you know, and, and the countenance fell, you know, from, from other people in the class because we knew what we were in for. And he started off exactly the way that you would think him to start. He started off, I have always believed that the only thing that is right to do when it comes with it to, to illegal immigrants is you deport them. That's what you do. They broke our laws. They, they came here without respect to our laws. I, yeah, I, I wish their families weren't getting broken up, but 
I guess you shouldn't do something wrong. If I were to go rob a bank, I would go to jail and I would be broken up away from my wife. I wouldn't be with my wife anymore, but that's because I made a decision to break the law. And so I have always said that the only way that you can deal with illegal immigration is it has to be mass deportations. There's no other way. You have to do that. And after that first part of the tirade, he pauses because I I just read the church's statement about that very topic. And, and, and this is what I mean. It, it was such a powerful spiritual experience because he pauses and he says, but if that is the church's position on this, then I guess I'm just wrong. I guess I've, I guess I've just always been wrong. And then he asked, he, he, he apologized to the class and, and, and asked for their forgiveness and said that he was sorry. The reason why that was so powerful to me, it's powerful to me now to even to think about it, is every person in that class knew that literally nothing mattered more to this guy than his political views. It was the only thing he talked about. It was, he was, he was talking about them when it didn't even apply. He was talking about them constantly and he held them more closely than literally anything else. And in that moment, when we read the church's statement, he had to decide who was he really? Was he an uber conservative who happened to be a Latter-day Saint? And Latter-day Saint theology, you know, often helps him make his conservative arguments. Or was he a Latter-day Saint who happened to be conservative? And which of those came first? And we watched, the whole class watched, as in this moment, he made the decision that, you know, maybe he didn't agree with, certainly he didn't agree with, but he wasn't going to declare to the students in that class that the church was wrong for making the statement. Instead, he took it the exact opposite way. I have always thought X, but if the church says Y, and I guess I've always been wrong. That is true discipleship. That is actually putting everything on the altar. And so that's really a question I, you know, I always ask myself, and hopefully we always ask ourselves, am I really willing to sacrifice everything for the kingdom of God? It's super easy to sacrifice when it just so happens to be what you already believe. The real difficulty is when it's not, when, when it's something that matters so much to you and the church's position is the opposite of yours. And, and oftentimes we gravitate towards heroes wherever they're at, athletes, you know, politicians, bloggers, podcasters, because they're saying exactly what we want to hear. And we get reaffirmed in the things that we want to believe. 
And the danger in that is it's not the prophet's calling to reaffirm you in everything you already believe. It's the prophet's calling to teach you things that you don't already believe or that you wouldn't believe if it wasn't coming from a prophet. I'm grateful I got to witness that uh, experience because uh, it, it showed me just what a powerful force a testimony of, of the truth can be. If I had anything to plead with for the people, you know, listening, it, it you know, I, I've already pled several times. Do not put anything, sports or leisure, politics or, or, or social, ahead of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Anything. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, covenant to follow the church, whether you agree or disagree, whether it's what you believed or what you didn't believe, whether it's easy or whether it's hard, covenant to be a true disciple. And whosoever shall lose his life, shall find it. That's who we are. Disciples of Jesus Christ means we're willing to give up everything. We're willing to consecrate everything, even if it is at times giving up a preciously held political or social belief or our, our worship, our hero worship of someone who is espousing those things when they conflict with the, the teachings of our current prophet. So I want to thank you so much for listening. Hopefully uh, we get uh, all kinds of email feedback on this. I'm sure we will. Um, as, uh, as has been noted, um, there's a few things you shouldn't talk about, uh, politics and, and religion. Well, well, this podcast has succeeded in, in breaking all of the fourth walls. So thank you so much for listening and your support. I really appreciate it. I know Richard does. It, it means a lot uh, that there are people who, who, who care about us and support us and what we're doing. And when we're not very good at it, please allow us some grace. Um, we aren't very good at it, but we certainly have testimonies and we're trying to do what we can to help uh, build up the kingdom of God. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Standard of Truth podcast, hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott. If you know anybody that could benefit from the material in this episode, please share it with them. And for more resources, visit standardoftruth.com. Until next time.